0: The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic podcast, thorough, innovative, and creative. That was perhaps the greatest scout in NFL history, Gil Brandt. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr., I'm already today late, well, some hours late. It's supposed to be dropping at six this morning, let's go. NFL historians and lovers of sports history, welcome in. This show is for all of you, every last one of you. If you breathe air, this is for you. School, if you already know this stuff, congratulations. And We always have to put that out there, but this show is for those who don't know as much about NFL history. Just remember, there's other people out there that don't know the same things that you do. They don't have your knowledge. So I'm here to do three things. That is enlighten, teach, and learn. It is the Behind the Mic Podcast. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr. This show is presented by Belly Up Sports and Belly Up Media. Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. That's what we are proud of. Go to our website, Belly Up, up, not Betty, BellyUpSports.com. Check out the stories, the merch, all of it. You can catch us all, all of our shows at our home base of Megaphone, the Favorites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. So, I'm going to start here. We lost Gil Brand. The last day of last month, August 31st, age of 91. Perhaps the greatest scout in NFL history. Definitely a guy that was like very, very thorough. Uh, seemed to me he had a photographic memory or whatnot. But this is a guy who deserved to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. There are others, um, but he definitely deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm going to start the show with just a snippet of his Hall of Fame speech back in 2019. And I not quote, it was very professionally fulfilling for me that so many of the traits that we identified as scouting metrics and landmarks in the early days have been used by the greatest football coaches scouts, and evaluators of the current generation. And let me speak directly for a few moments to all of the scouts in today's audience and watching on TV. What you do in locating and securing talent is the lifeblood of the sport of football. All the time in random hotels, driving from one place to another. It pays off seeing that player That was something special in his lateral moves or going to a D3 campus and finding a diamond in the rough. It's really, really, you deserve a huge applause. I'll say that. It seems to me that the magic that keeps coming out of on the road for the half of the year and half the year in a film room has been very important to our success. Scouting isn't always easy when you get into the nuts and bolts of finding and following 500 new players every season, but it's so rewarding. And I want every single one of you to look at my election into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame, as he said, as a tip of the cap to the entire scouting industry and see yourself in inclusion in Canton someday. You know, when I read that, it made me want to, you know, go back to school or or, or go reach out to somebody and be a scout. I do feel like I could probably do that job, but I'm pretty sure there's a lot more to it than, you know, obviously that meets the eye. And, I, I mean, I follow pro football pretty closely and pretty thoroughly myself. And, you know, one of the first thoughts that I actually had outside of that was the commercial I think it's a it maybe a hotel commercial or something like that where you got the guy that's you know he's clearly a scout he's going from hotel to hotel and you see him with his uh he's preparing for the draft he's got his little watch in the hand and he's got his notes and you know he's he's watching at the end of the commercial the guy that he scouted get drafted and he celebrated pumping his fist that's what Gil Brand is talking about. Gil Brandt was one of the few guys that was, or and there's definitely one of the few that just really had an eye for talent. And was he perfect? Nobody's perfect. And you look for the perfect person, it doesn't exist. Okay. But when it comes to being a scout, and, and let's just ask the question what is a scout in the first place? Someone who goes, no matter what the sport is, and they evaluate what A player can or cannot do and when they have the information on what their team is needing what they are looking for in a player whether it be character as well as his physical attributes that scout is supposed to be able to go from place to place school to school you know and say okay i mean even high school football same thing This guy is something special. Sometimes it takes what they call the eye test. And then you have to go and talk to like recruiters. They got to talk to teachers and stuff, find out what kind of person he is. Because when I bring him on my campus, is he going to be a nut job? Is he going to go and do something stupid? Or is he going to be someone that not only excels on the field, but also in the classroom or outside of practice? Okay. Is he going to go off the rails and do something crazy? So, you know, scouts have to do the exact same thing because there's a lot of money at stake. And a lot of the things that Gil Brandt did in his career were innovative, not just him, but it was him, Tech Schramm, the Dallas Cowboys, Tom Landry. They did a lot of things. You may or may not like or love the, the Dallas Cowboys, but the Cowboys, I can speak to facts, were one of those franchises when they came into the league in 1960, they begin to do things and they built a dynasty, didn't want a whole bunch of Super Bowls, but they were there. And at one point they were literally the winningest team, the winningest franchise in NFL history at one point, you know, outside of the Raiders, the Raiders were like the winningest team over like a, a span going back into what, I think the early, the late 60s going into the 70s. But the Dallas Cowboys were on top of everybody in, in winning percentage. And the way that you do that is you bring in good players. And you had to know who to bring in. And not everybody comes through the draft. Some of these guys are free agents. Some of these guys, are you know, they just come in off the street and haven't played pro football before. And I'm not saying that Gil Brandt was the first and only to do that. But you see that he and the Dallas Cowboys, they were able to do that <laughs> seemingly on a regular and they were great they were really great at it gilbrandt had an eye for talent and they innovated did some innovative things you know i, I can start the show i thought about it when i said i'm going to do the show on Gil Brandt. the day that i found out he passed out and passed away you know that that day on, on the 31st i said i have to go Gil Brandt. and I, I mean there are some things and again i preface my show by saying If you already know this stuff. Well, when I went through and and watched some of the TV people down in Dallas or you hear uh, and see videos, you know, on television, they go rattling off all of the different things that he did. And I mean, it was some great things. Personnel executive that was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2019. The Cowboys Ring of Honor the year before in 2018. And. 20 straight winning seasons from 1966 to 1985. Five Super Bowl appearances and two championships. He attributed to that, what, the first to use computers in introducing computers 50 years ago. Nobody was doing that, okay? And then we have people doing this today. He was among the ones that were, that the Cowboys were the first to do pro days. Nobody was doing pro days. You know, going to someone's school and and evaluating their talent on their turf, having pro days, and he was also uh, at the forefront of the combine before the you know when the combine finally came to be. Of course, that was like towards the tail end, but he was one of the ones that were doing that. And they the the Cowboys at Gilbrant, Tex Schramm, Tom Landry, they put together some things that are still in use today. And I mean, it didn't take long for the rest of the league to catch up. But they, when they did catch up, I mean, they, they were using the exact same things that the Cowboys were doing. And some of them wanted to go and make them even better. But Gil Brent has to be credited for all the things that he did. And, and he was first to use info, you know, without a football to measure a player. They went digital even back in the 1960s. They did. And then you rattle off the players that they found whether it was via the draft, trades, free agency. I mean, they found Hall of Famers. They evaluated Hall of Famers. Great stories behind those as well. And I said, I don't have to necessarily do that, but it came from somewhere. Kick the music. So the Cleveland Rams, and I always say, yes, the Cleveland Rams left in 19, after the 1945 championship against the Washington football team, and they moved out to LA, their first winning season and their first championship. well, the thing you got to know about the cleveland rams that now la rams at the time they were at the forefront of scouting they were some of the few that were doing it a little bit differently so they hired a man by the name of tech Schramm. Schramm had been a summer intern i think he went to the university of texas and during his time off he would intern at the la times eventually this guy would be hired by the rams They'd be the head pr man there were two leagues back then in 1946 not only was it the first year for the rams and they were the first to reintegrate pro football well so were the cleveland browns but they were in an entirely different league it was the all america football conference and the all america football conference in 1947 the year that Schram was hired there was another team in L.A., the L.A. Dons, the Don Amichis, Um you might as well say, because he was one, I think he was the majority owner, so it was just named after him, right? But they were pulling, and at the end of their four-year run, the All-American Football Conference actually outdrew in attendance the NFL, because they were fighting over paying football players, much like they were fighting for players in the AFL in the 1960s, that... The AFC could not keep up. But to get more butts in seats for the Rams, well, they hired Tex Schramm who was brilliant in doing that and he was promoted to GM by 1954. Well, he took some things to the Dallas Cowboys once they decided to have an expansion franchise. Eddie Codel is a name that I've spoken plenty of times on this show. Cota was one of the first, well actually the first full time NFL scout. The Rams were doing it differently. This guy spent tireless, well not tireless, he spent hours on the road going from school to school and place to place and spending very little time at home because he was scouting and he was one of the few that were actually putting eyeballs on players. That's what made him great. That's what made the Rams as good as they were. And Compare that to the way scouting was really done back in the day. Scouting was done much like the 1936 draft, which was the first NFL draft. They were using magazines and newspaper clippings. All-America teams, Street and Smith, they were calling coaches. And the Rams were just different. Kotal was going to these players and evaluating them and coming back and letting the Rams and Dan Reeves, the owner, know all right, these are the guys that we need to be looking at. And they got some of the best ones going through the 40s and the 50s, in the early 50s. Now, while Schram was a GM in L.A., uh, he actually hired a part-time scout by the name of Gil Brandt. Gil Brandt was a baby photographer, okay? He was from Wisconsin, and he went to the University of Wisconsin. And this guy actually was um, referred to, to the Rams through Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch yes the Hall of Fame wide receiver that played with the Rams I believe he coached with them uh, coached them um, he worked with the Rams obviously for a couple years and I think he was a, a, a coach actually check that he wasn't a coach and he was an administrator around 1949 so that that connection he had with Brent both of them being U of W alums University of Wisconsin alums got Brandt a part-time gig as a scout. Well, Brandt, he hadn't played any college or NFL football. He played in high school. He was a quarterback and a defensive back. But while at uh, Wisconsin, he was a gatherer of info for Eddie Codell. And he got paid around $50 a week to do this, okay? And, um, I mean, it was something that he actually did, but it's more profitable work. Uh, was being a baby photographer so after two years at Wisconsin he leaves and goes and moves back home but he becomes a photo uh, photographer uh, of newborns he had contracts with three different hospitals he has a $1400 camera the nurses take the pictures the hospital adds what $3 to the patient's bill and they kept 25% and Brandt developed the pictures and pocketed the other 75% pretty good as a matter of fact, when he was hired by Tech Shrem with the new expansion Dallas Rangers, then turned Cowboys before their 60 season uh, started, well, he actually said that he had made about $14,000. Not bad, apparently, for, I guess, 1958-59. But he made $14,000 just doing the baby photography. He got paid less than that playing for I mean, well, not playing. Uh, working uh, with Tech Shrem. Obviously, he would make more than that, but Football was his weekend hobby. And Shram leaves the Rams in 1956, and then around, what, from 58 to 59, Brent actually has his first time uh, scouting gig. And this was with the San Francisco 49ers for those two seasons. But Clint Murchison Jr., he gets the green light for a expansion franchise, which actually took a little bit longer going into from 59 into 60. But Murchison, was $600,000, Buys uh, into an expansion team in Dallas. Uh, They changed the name to the Cowboys that summer in 1960. He hired Shram to be the GM, Tom Landry from the New York Giants to be the head coach, and Brandt to find the players as a full-time scout. And then away we go. So that that right there is what started the Dallas, let's just call it, um, uh, going in the direction of being America's team. And so when you look at the way that the cowboys were put together going into the 70s the 70s was where they had really gotten big the late 60s as you know uh some of you may know is when they started getting gun that's that 20 year streak started in 1966 they go and lose to the packers back-to-back seasons but in the 70s they get to the super bowl lose the super bowl they should have won it In 1970 they win it in 1971 they win it again uh during the 77 season they lose twice to pittsburgh but they are established powerhouse uh probably second to only the pittsburgh steelers when it comes to reaching and winning super bowls um and then you also had the dolphins and the raiders that were great during the 70s but the dallas cowboys were built through you know just bringing in and evaluating players is so much better than everybody else was doing for the most part well that 1960 it didn't start off that way the results of that season was winless they were 0-11-1 and but Dallas was not included in the in that draft in 1960 but they did get rights to five players from every NFL team you know so they had guys they started off with guys like Don Perkins and Eddie LeBaron who was the first Cowboys starting quarterback or whatever but I think Perkins actually came in in 1961. Perkins' first year was in 1961. But in 1960, they had to put together what they could. But they won their first games in 1961, but they actually came into that season draft ready. So according to Brandt, he had a trunk full of black binders that were full of info. This is the preparedness that this guy, he was just relentless with it, okay? And almost uh just crazy with trying to have the info and he prided himself on remembering almost any and everything about every prospect that he was evaluating but according to him he had all of these binders these black binders full of info And he talked about how teams had rolls of quarters because it was three dollars and 25 cents for three minutes on the phone and they're calling they're calling coaches and they're calling people calling players and, you know, that was for the pay phones. And just during the draft, they also had those, uh, just like the 1936 draft, just like they were drafted, the Street and Smith magazines, and then also copies of what was called Billings Gazette. And so the Cowboys, they had their homework in their binders. Uh, they had their first pick. Um, the first pick they ever made was Bob Lilly. Money. Hall of Fame defensive tackle. One of the best of all time. And remember, they were wrestling with the AFL because the AFL started off in 1960 as well. And there's a story that I read where Brandon gave Bob Lilly $100 while he was in college. He said, hey, look, man, you know, take care of yourself. You know, go get you something to eat or whatever he told him to do with the money. Uh, but th- these are some of the things that he would do to try and establish some kind of relationship. Sounds like a uh, a recruiter, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Nil, baby. No, there's nothing wrong with that anymore. Look, 19 by 1962. That's when they started developing the first computer for scouting. Okay, um, they invented what was called the black box. And also, and this was used to measure a player's agility and its explosiveness. And so, one of their great draft picks. I'll get to him in a second. Um, they, they started that year with computers developing that system. One Of the books that I was reading, a very thick book that pretty much runs through the entire history to that point of the Dallas Cowboys, this by Arthur Joe Nick Potoski. Uh, after the 1962 NFL draft, Tech Schramm actually called the Dallas office of IBM, wanting them to help him pick his players. Okay, they wanted to set up the computer, a computer program to help pick the players, and so they sent him. To the Statistical and Operations Analysis Group, which was in San Jose, California, which happened to be a one-person department. Please forgive me if I say this man, man's name wrong, but a statistician by the name of Salam Kurashi. All right, Kurashi. He flew. He flew to Dallas. Met with tech shram Schramm explains, "Hey, look, to him and Brandt, you know, I need this program to evaluate college talent." Okay the ones who are eligible for the draft. And so and he wanted to be a lot more efficient than what we would do as humans, right? So, Chris, he, he knew nothing about football. He knew about soccer, but not American football. But they ran an experiment between coaches and the scouts. Okay, so this is where Gil Brant and them come in. And there was a settlement on five dimensions on what made a great player, right? They put this in the computer, character, quickness, competitiveness, mental alertness, and strength. Trial run was done before the 64 draft and it produced a list of 100 of the best prospects. Check out these Hall of Fame names it spit out. OJ Simpson, Joe Namath, Dick Buckus, Gail Sayers, Fred Biletnikoff. And I'm going to quote from the book, the computer didn't lie. 87 players on that list eventually turned pro. And of course, like I said, there, some of those being in the hall of fame. And Gershi actually stayed up 70 hours straight to make sure this system really worked. That's a lot of coffee. I don't know how he did that. 70 hours straight. But it was implemented in the 1965 draft, which proved to be great. So, and that that was one of the, the things that got them started in that direction because they knew what they wanted in the player. And so all they needed was a little help evaluating. Don't tell me that the stuff didn't work because they drafted all these Hall of Famers. I mean, like I said, you had nine pro football Hall of Famers, not even including the pro bowlers and and the solid starters that helped them win and get to all these championships and Super Bowls and all these 20 straight winning seasons. Teams dream of that. You know what I mean? So, you know, they were draft ready every year. Not, not just in 1961, going forward, they were drafted people left and right. But the mind of Gil Brandt and the eye of Gil Brandt brought in Cornell Green in 1962. This is a cornerback that didn't even play college football. He was a basketball player at Utah State. He's a free agent, undrafted, a five-time pro bowler, and a three-time all-pro. I mean, who does that? I mean, in 63, you, you bring in Leroy Jordan, for instance a linebacker from Alabama who ended up being a 13-year starter for Dallas. But that's not too hard when you have an All-American that played for Bama who was the creme de la creme outside of Notre Dame back in the 60s, right? But then in 64, they draft three Hall of Famers, okay? Very interesting. Mel Renfro, Bullet Bob Hayes, and Roger Staubach. Just another little note on the way that Gil Brandt they talked about his draft parameters. They didn't draft linemen under 6'2, receivers that ran over a 4'7. So if you're a 4'8 guy, and, and I know you probably think 4'7 is kind of slow, but that's actually pretty good for almost, you know, for a lot of athletes. But you need to run at least a 4'7 in the 40 yard dash. Quiet as kept. Paul Brown actually developed the 40 yard dash, but he did it after drafting the team after drafting players and they actually did it 50 and uh, 100 yards dallas said we're just gonna go with 40 yards you know so i mean that's pretty cool if they didn't trade trade for vets they were over the hill either so that's pretty important because you see the coaches do these things now there was some of these parameters they they want a four or six guy as a receiver or four or five guys a receiver these days right you know, if you're a 4-7 linebacker, that's still pretty good, but you got some linebackers that can run a 4-4-4-5. But, I mean, times still haven't changed very much, but they knew what they wanted. Brant knew what he wanted. Hot Hayes ran better than a 4-7. This guy was a gold medal Olympian in the 100 meters and the 440 relay in 1964. They found him in the seventh round out of FAMU, HBCU keep this in mind as well not a lot of black players being drafted very high not at least not yet but he was one of the few he they bring in roger stahlbach in the 10th round check this story out so he talked about in his speech about going to uh to to evaluate and scout roger stahlbach well there's a 12 year old kid that's running routes for roger stahlbach out in indianapolis the Naval Academy, and his dad's name, Steve. Yeah, of course you know who I'm talking about. Bill Belichick's running routes for Roger Staubach. And he's trying to get him to leave college early, actually, to leave the Naval Academy after his junior year. He actually went to Staubach's home in Cincinnati, talked to Staubach's mother, Betty. She put him at the house. Now, nah, get out of here. You know, college football was king. And college football, I actually had like a i don't know if it wasn't a rule yet but it was like no players stay four years nobody leaves early you know not like red Grange we talked about a couple weeks ago but uh they play four years and that's that's kind of the agreement we want with pro football so i don't think it was something that was written at all at least not yet but Starbuck, 10th round 10th round he finished his senior year did his four years in the navy then he joined the cowboys the rest is history and then uh there was lamar hunt who even offered him an open-ended contract they wanted Starbuck bad <laughs> they really did but then mel renfro turned into a 14 year uh year pro but draft day was kind of crazy because this is something i did not know there were no clocks you know you're on the clock no there was nobody on the clock Back then in, ni- in the 1960s, there was no clock. And as a matter of fact, Dallas, it took a little bit too long making this pick, but that's because they were sending a doctor to evaluate Mel Renfro to make sure everything was in order. Vince Lombardi comes over, and I wonder how that went a couple years later when they beat Dallas back to back in the NFL championship. Uh, yeah, you know. But he comes over to the table. Yeah, hey, you wrong. Your, your computer stopped working. I Alright, mean, you know, he's jabbing them in the ribs. Nobody else is doing this. But it did work. It did work. I mean, Meryl Renfro was a pro football Hall of Famer. He made the Pro Bowl six times as a safety and four times as a corner. And he was a five-time All-Pro. This stuff works. It worked. It's just that simple. You know, they bring in Jethro, Jethro Pugh in 65 as an 11th round draft pick out of Elizabeth City State University. And when they weren't counting sacks, I mean, outside of Deacon Jones and all these other guys, not till what, 1981, 82? Well, he had 95 and a half as, you know, total. That's a lot of sacks. You know what I mean? And then the year, of the 20-year streak, they keep bringing in players like D.D. Lewis and Larry Cole and Calvin Hill running back out of Yale, of all places. They find Dwayne Thomas at West Texas State. I know he was, turned out to be kind of a, Forgive me, Dwayne, if you – he was kind of a problem child. He was great and he needed to get paid. We talked about that last week, I think. But, I mean, they they drafted a great running back, but they could afford to get rid of him because they, they had others. Rayfield Wright, he was a tight end at Fort Valley State. They made him a Hall of Fame tackle. People playing in different positions. Some that didn't know football at all. Like kicker tony frisch he played 11 years in the league and from 71 to 75 i think with dallas he was coming through on a european tour when brent and those guys they said you know what we want a soccer style kicker. we're looking for a soccer style kicker come on kick this ball for so i mean it worked the free agents the free agent list is is pretty bonkers too drew pearson Finally got in the Hall of Fame in 2021 as a receiver, right? Well, he wasn't playing receiver until his last two years of high, uh, of college. He played it in high school, but his teammate who was throwing him the ball, yes, Joe Theismann, Joe Theismann, Joe who was to- Joe Theismann? Joe Theismann was throwing him the football. When he graduated, Drew Pearson started playing quarterback and got recruited by, by schools, goes to Tulsa as a quarterback and decides to flip to receiver because they're not allowing a lot of blacks to play quarterback in the NFL. So, I mean, you know, he made that choice on his own. It was one of the greatest choices he ever made. Cliff Harris, the famous safety for, for the, he actually uh, took Charlie Waters' job and Cornell Green I think he retired. Then in, 19, uh, think in seventy-four. that's when Charlie Waters got to start again. But Cliff Harris was a walk-on in college and a free agent coming into the NFL. Took his job. Everson Walls out of FAMU, another HBCU. Led the league with 11 interceptions. These are guys that Gilbrand is bringing in. Then the trades. 1974, they trade Craig Morton. Craig Morton was the, the quarterback for the Cowboys back in 1970 when they went to the Super Bowl and of course he lost his job to Roger Staubach the next season when they was playing the quarterback uh, musical chairs and the team was like look just settle on one dude Tom and they did and it was the best decision Tom Landry ever made and then they trade more than a couple years later to the Giants but that pick turned out they traded him for a pick in which turned out in 1975 to be number two overall Randy White and then they also uh, they also end up with Tutal Jones, number one overall, because they trade a couple players with Houston, with the Houston Oilers. They get Ed Tutal Jones, the first out of HBCU, I mean, uh, in the NFL, to be drafted overall, black, all right? We know about Buck Buchanan, okay, to be fair. Nate Newton, free agent out of uh, FAMU. Free agent pro football hall of fame guard troy eggman you know you got the troy eggmans and the michael Irvins and stuff like that but i mean then there's other trades that turn out to be a hall of fame running back like tony dorsett tony dorsett's story is this is that quiet is kept he didn't want to play for the seattle seahawks who were an expansion team in 76 earned the number one number two overall pick in 77 and is like, I don't want to play for them. They stink. <laughs> I don't know if he said that. But the Seahawks front office said, if we draft this dude, then because the Bucks had the number one overall pick. They already had their eyes on somebody else. And there's was like, well, we'll, ter- we'll take Tony Dorsett, but Tony doesn't want to play for us. Well, maybe we should work out a trade with somebody. And they did. And it was a four pick trade. Dallas Gil Brandt sends Seattle a first-round pick and three second-round picks. They get a Hall of Fame running back, and that year they won the Super Bowl. So what they did was working. He was a great scout, and it's more than just evaluating college talent. Sometimes you got to look at the rest of the league, and you're bringing in people, too, and trades and stuff. But that 20-year streak came to an end in 1986. I mean, they had a, what, a 7-9 record? And the Cowboys wouldn't make the playoffs again until 1991 when that new uh, breed with Emmitt and and the triplets, with Emmitt and Jimmy Johnson, Emmitt Smith, Troy Aikman, and Michael Irvin, when they were going to the Super Bowl and winning championships at that time. But before that, you know, the Cowboys hadn't won a playoff game since 1982. So part of the problem was the fact that dallas didn't really reload like they had in the 1970s and they fell into a funk nobody's perfect brant and shram they weren't perfect but by 1989 there was a house cleaning they had a new owner jerry jones he uh he fires tech shram tom landry gil brant resigns and this is this is Weeks after selecting Troy Eggman and everybody else, weeks after the draft, he resigns. So uh, it's, it's what it was after nearly, what, 30 years together? Since 1959. Um, McGill Brandt, he reinvented himself, okay? He became a part of what you most know to this day until his passing, a pro football hero, a historian, uh, an analyst, a lead analyst, and he actually, uh, or draft day guru, and he also wrote for NFL.com from the first day of its inception, right? He co-hosted a show on Sirius XM NFL Radio. And then uh, Brant, Jerry Jones, who's, he joked in his speech, Brant did, thank you, Jerry, for making me a free agent 30 years ago. So, I mean, that was pretty good. And he was able to reinvent himself and, and do something completely different and continue to, to pour his knowledge and continue, you know, really kind of his scouting from afar and putting his knowledge you know, out there for the masses to be able to use. They became friends Brenton Jones did and he actually even even to the point when he was in a wheelchair was still showing up to Dallas Cowboys games. So I mean it's, it's really really great to see what his career brought and I loved every second that I was able to get because my thing was I did follow him on Twitter um, but also, I read his columns and in, in, on NFL.com. So you know, it, he had a wealth of knowledge that it, it was just great, and it just made you look at players. And there's a lot of great guys out there, and a lot of great scouts historically. I mean, Eddie Cotto was one, um, and there's several others. Jack Vinisi, he was the the scout for the the uh, Green Bay Packers. But I mean, like Dallas, though, but they had a lot of them as well. Brent wasn't the only one. But he was like the lead guy when it came to that. But Gil Brandt will be missed. One of the greatest scouts to ever do it. References that's it. ProFootballReference.com. Also, the New York Times a couple of articles. Gil Brandt, 91 dies, help make the Cowboys America's team. This is written by Richard Sandemir, September 1st, 2023. Also, the Dallas Morning News headlined as NFL preps for a virtual draft. Gil Brandt remembers. How the Cowboys were the founding fathers of digital innovation. Calvin Watkins, he's pretty good. April 19, 2020, and a couple of books. How about them Cowboys by Gary Myers, also Joe Nick Patowski's book, The Dallas Cowboys: The Most Outrageous, the Outrageous History of the Biggest, Loudest, Most Hated, Best Little Football Team in America, uh, and also america's game the nfl at 100 co-written by randy o williams and my favorite nfl player football player of all time jerry lee rice this has been the behind the mic podcast again yes i'm your host michael neal jr and the show is presented by belly up sports and belly up media belly up sports podcast network check us out on bellyupsports.com Check out the articles, the merch, all of that. You catch us on our home base of Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. All the favorites. Please listen to my show. You will force me to find your house. I'm out!